0: the last little jaunt into the prophetic Especially in the Old Testament Perhaps in a couple of years or a couple of months time We can look a little bit in the New Testament uh, But we've been spent the last four months actually Looking at the subject of prophecy in the Old Testament And either one have benefited from it And been blessed by it yeah. and, uh, and especially by the fact that God's word is so accurate that would have impressed me, and he knows he knew all this was going to mm-hmm. take place. And uh, no matter what anyone would say, mm-hmm. no one can doubt the prophetic nature
1: mm-hmm.
0: of the scriptures. Now then, so far we've been looking in Zechariah for the last couple of Thursday nights, and we've concentrated our thoughts on the first advent of Christ. You know, under the title "The Branch," if you remember, mm-hmm. we saw that Christ would be the priest upon the throne yes he has a royal priesthood which supersedes the Levitical priesthood the Levitical priesthood of course we know would have limited God's activity exclusively to the Jews Mm. whereas Christ's priesthood after the order of Melchizedek opens it up to a universal ministry that the gospel can now be preached to the whole world. To every creature that is in the world. you know, And that's the beauty of our Savior. He's not just for a small little group of people. But he is for. He loves the world. And he comes to take away the sins. Of the whole world. And whoever believes. Whoever believes on him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. Under the same title the branch. We also saw that Christ. Is the suffering servant. That we read about. In Isaiah chapter 51 And we saw in um, Zechariah chapter 3 That Christ as the branch Will remove the iniquity of the land In just one day And we saw when that day was It was the day that culminated In Christ hanging upon the cross And of course being lovingly transported To a rich man's grave which was good news for us, because having been laid in a rich man's grave, we know that his sacrifice was sufficient. You know, we saw that day to be when Jesus Himself, God Himself in the flesh, hung upon a cross as our substitute. And we finished last week with what amazing verse from two Corinthians chapter five: He, God, made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him you want? Know, as I said we bring in our studies on the prophe- prophecies of the Old Testament to a close, night and we're going to concentrate on the second advent of Christ from the same book the book of Zachariah and uh, it's an amazing book and it's a book I'd, I'd love to start from the beginning and work my way through. When me and Pauline went to Tunisia, you know, I like to take books to read. And I took a commentary on the book of Zachariah. And I've got to be honest, it didn't go with the pool and the setting uh, a lot. Uh, because <laughs> it's this thick. Uh, but I would, uh, I would like to, because it's, it's always fascinated me, the the book of Zechariah and uh, perhaps one day after we finish Romans and done the prophecies in the New Testament perhaps we'll have a little look at all the wonderful things all them visions that Zechariah had uh, in his book Now with Zachariah, Zechariah we know that he speaks about Palm Sunday but he speaks about more than Palm Sunday we know as we've seen that he spoke about the crucifixion but we know that he speaks about more than the, the crucifixion. He takes us even further, and he takes us into the uncharted territory of the future. Tonight we're going to deal an awful lot with the future. You know, one, these last five chapters of this book are brim full of references to the coming of an end, of the end of the church age. Parts of it of recently happened as we've seen elsewhere you know and uh, parts of it happened a long time ago as we've seen elsewhere events that shall go to concentrate our minds on the fact that we are in the very last days you know I wonder sometimes if the church has realized that I wonder if I realize it because an awful lot of us are sleeping when we should be about our father's business we come into the end and as I've said so very often in this place, there's lots of things that we're going to do in heaven that we do now, but there's one thing that will be blatantly absent, and that is the opportunity to reach the lost. Mm-hmm. There will be no evangelism in heaven, mm-hmm. there will be no witnessing in heaven, there'll be no seeking to save those that are lost. You know, and it looks like there's not very long between now and the time. When the Saviour bursts through the curtain of eternity. Mm-hmm. Breaks into time in order to set His kingdom up on the earth. It's getting close. You know, These studies must concentrate the mind as to where we stand today. We're going to start our Bible study tonight in chapter 10 and verse 1. Chapter 10 and verse one, And this is, this is what it says Ask the Lord for rain In the time of the latter rain The Lord will make flashing clouds He will give them showers of rain And grass in the field for everyone Ask the Lord for rain In the time of the latter rain you me know we know me that uh, he is speaking of a flashpoint that has taken place in uh, the annals of history. We know it and celebrate it as the day of Pentecost. You now, on the day of Pentecost, so many things took place, so many uh, phenomena took place or phenomena took place, wonderful experiences, empowerment. Of the church but one thing about the day of Pentecost It was the day when God poured out The latter rain A spiritual rain, a spiritual power A spiritual presence That would characterize the whole of the church age You know the moment when First of all the Holy Spirit Came upon the people of God The moment when God's power was released into the church. The moment when the disciples realized that we, as his people, haven't got to go it alone. We have someone who resides within us and someone who walks with us. Mm. You know, Jesus has prophesied this uh, moments before perhaps 10 days before he prophesied this in chapter 7 of John that when he is glorified they that are thirsty can come to the waters and drink and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water the Holy Spirit tells us in John chapter 14 that he who is with you will be in you if I go, if I don't go, I can't send it. If I do go, I will send the Holy Spirit, but he will be with you, and he will be in you. Then of course we see on the, the Mount of Olives when Jesus was departing from this world, that promise that he made that not very long from this moment, you will receive power <coughs> when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And here we are, 10 days later, the fulfillment. Of those three words of Christ Concerning the Holy Spirit And he comes upon them And he clothes them with power And falls and refreshes them Like the latter rain Now we have this amazing gift That would stay with us From new birth to final consummation Upon every believer At every moment in the church age The latter rain. The latter rain has come. He is. He is. He is the Holy Spirit. And that's the the greatest plan of God or the the wonderful plan of God brought into fruition. I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, says Joel. I will pour water upon the dry land and floods upon the, the parched land, says Isaiah. Come to the waters. Says Isaiah six, these great wells of salvation, where where they, I will rain the blessings, the abundant blessings of my Spirit upon you, the latter rain. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, this is that. This is that, says Peter, that which um, was introduced to us or prophesied to us by the prophet Joel. You know, and as he stood there with the twelve announcing the power of the Holy Spirit you know and announcing in the power of the Holy Spirit and who was he speaking to he was speaking to the people that not very uh, many days before that he was afraid of he was fearful of these, people, these same people and yet now with power introduces the very Christ that the Jews had rejected you know, and all the, the wonderful things that went on uh, around the coming of the Lord—the tongues as of fire, the mighty rushing wind, the speaking in tongues—you know, and all these wonderful things that took place on the day of um, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, He comes with all His baggage, lovely baggage, not awful baggage, but lovely stuff. All the 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 thrill of God and the power of God, and the revelation of God. You know, and um, he attributed those words of Joel to this moment. That's what he says: "It shall come to pass after that, afterwards, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams." The young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants, and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they find that echo here in, uh, in this verse that we are looking at in Zechariah. The latter rain is falling. The Holy Spirit is here. Or as Jesus says himself, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying if anyone thirsts, let him come. Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, and in our verse, we also have this little hint. But this gospel is a universal thing. Joel says upon all flesh. Mm -hmm. All flesh. You and Zechariah says in our verse he will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For everyone. Mm -hmm. So not only did the Holy Spirit burst onto the scene but this gospel message broke through the iron curtain of Judaism and penetrated into the realm of the Gentiles you and I have been grafted in and now through Christ we are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members together with the household of God this moment of moments heralded in the last days of the prophetic plan you know we your preachers talking about these are the last days these are the last days you know they are they, and they have been for the last 2000 years this is God's last expression to the world and it's an amazing thing that he has chosen us to be a part of his last voice to the nations now then what happens next you know, we can move on to verse 10 of chapter 10. And we read this
1: mm-hmm.
0: I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live to- together with their children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt, and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead And Lebanon Until no more room Is found For them Now casting our minds back Over the last 16 weeks This has actually been the theme Of quite a number Of our studies together In prophecy The dispersing Of the children of Israel To the four corners Of the earth which of course was completed in A.D. 70 when the city of Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was burned to the ground you know, if you can cast your minds back to the, the day when we looked at um, Ezekiel taking a sword and shaving off his hair you know, and a third of it went here and a third of it went there and a third of it was cut up with a sword and a third of it was burnt and we had that little piece <laughs> of air you know it was about 15 thirds <laughs> <laughs> a little piece a little lock of his hair was wrapped and kept when they went to Babylon they stayed faithful to God but when they came back that same little lock of air rejected Christ so people who came back from Babylon are the same people who rejected Christ and they were the last ones to be dispersed into the nations so in A.D. 70 which is just over or just under 2,000 years ago the children of Israel were scattered to the winds to the four winds of the earth and they've lived in every nation in the world ever since but the Bible says that he will bring them back there's a bringing back I will sow them among the nations and they shall remember me in far away countries that's what he said that's what he told him. and we've looked at that uh, a number of times during this last four months or so but we've also dealt with their glorious return and here again God is intent on showing us that he is not finished with his covenant people just yet they still have a part to play and to have a part to play in God's prophetic countdown, they have to be reinstated into the land of Israel they have to be there for the end time to happen, to come about Israel has to be back in the land in their ancestral homeland before we go home tonight we will realise why the Jews have to be in Israel When Christ returns You want to see what he says And I will also bring them back From the land of Egypt And gather them from Assyria I will bring them into the land of Gilead And into Lebanon Two upheavals of dispersion And regathering, Trigger moments in history In the prophetic timetable of God the time when they were scattered and the time when they were reinstated. You know, And we've seen that. That has happened. You know, it was, you know if he was to go back a hundred years that would be open ended. And we wonder when is God going to bring the children of Israel back into the land. Because then we can start counting down to the end of the world. But we aren't going to do that we are going to ask that question because we know that in 1948 they came back into the land we know that in 1967 they came back into Jerusalem and ruled and ruled Jerusalem for themselves after thousands of years and now we are going to wonder when the prophetic timetable starts because it has started the times of the gentiles have gone and now we're in this moment when, God, when things are hot enough hurtling towards the ends of the world. So there we can see. And it's there written down for us. You know, God has told us this before ever it came about. Now, you're know, popping over to chapter 12. and on verses 1 to 3. And read I read these verses. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus saith the Lord, who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Just a little reminder there that God is our creator, that He, he made all this happen, He brought into being things that weren't there, created the heavens and the earth, and man, and gave him life. You know, He's, he's quite. I think God is quite proud of that because he keeps on telling us he keeps on reminding us not just in Genesis 1 and 2 but he continually reminds us who he is See so what he says behold I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples all who would he- heave it away will surely be cut in pieces the all nations of the earth are gathered against it now then the focus not so much on the children of Israel the Israelites, the Jews but now the focus arrows in on the land Jerusalem Jerusalem, you know we've, we could look at the whole of Israel this panoramic view of uh, the, the land of Israel. What a beautiful place. in uh, A wonderful place to go and visit and, and enjoy the sights. But God wants us to, to narrow our view to this little piece of real estate. Which is the envy of the world. This is the most important city in history. And ever since God claimed Jerusalem For his own Listen to what he says In 1 Kings 11 And to his son I will give one tribe That my servant David May always have a land Before me in Jerusalem and Listen to these words, it's really fabulous In the city Which I Have chosen for myself to put my name there. You know what it is that? Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen, says God, for myself, to put my name there. You know what? Ever since that moment, Satan has listed after Jerusalem. Ever since God chose that place. And said, this is my name. And from that moment on, Satan has lusted after it. And every expression of man's insatiable desire to rule over Jerusalem has been inspired by his diabolical obsession with it. I want it, says Satan. I want it. Why? Because it's God's. Because it's God's. What a child. When you think about it. You know and to be fair. It only cost 50 shekels. Can you imagine. David bought. This land. For 50 shekels. And he had two oxen thrown in. For good measure. I tell you listen to it. Then the king. Said to Una. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And and, uh, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. 50 shekels for Jerusalem. That's when 50 shekels were 50 shekels, Roger. Not like today. doesn't go very, 50 shekels doesn't go very far today, but them days. Every army that has ever reigned there has found it too hot and too heavy to stay. Our text would tell us that God will make it a cup of drunkenness, of reeling, of trembling, a heavy storm. People, people wanted so much. And yet, when they got it, they cannot hold on to it. No. It's too heavy for them. It's too hot to handle. You know, and they soon give it up because they cannot stay the course. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a similar thought in Isaiah fifty-one. Isaiah fifty-one says this: "Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem! You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord, the cup of His fury. You have drunk the dregs." Of the cup of trembling And drained it out Jerusalem Now do I Need To elaborate On the history of Jerusalem Now even in our own time The armies that have Marched and fallen Is testimony to the battle That exists For this small Yet sacred parcel Of land how much man hates God, inspired by that lust of Satan for this little city. It's God's. And it will forever remain His. Because His name is there. His reputation is bound up with it. His character is woven into it. It's absolutely. And did you notice the last phrase in our reading? Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. You know, and this will be, of course, the final act. Just before the Lord returns. You know, Jesus himself says to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Isn't it strange that there's no city on earth like that? God has chosen this one. What a coincidence. Mm. What a lucky guess that He made 2,000 years ago. Or does He know the end from the beginning? Mm. You know, and uh, we can. Can you see the nations of the world surrounding Jerusalem? Because I can. It doesn't take an awful lot of imagination to wake up tomorrow to the news that the nations of the world have surrounded Jerusalem. If it happened tomorrow, who on earth would be surprised? You know, if ever there was proof that the Bible is the word of God and that God knows the end from the beginning, then Jerusalem is that proof. Your Bible teachers needn't waste their energy telling people, they could very easily leave it to Hugh Edwards, Ola Gurin, Jeremy Bowen, and Julie Etchingham. They're all talking about Jerusalem. More than ever we do. They talk about that city all the time. We haven't got to keep that in the news. Because somehow or other, it keeps itself in the news. Of course, it's been second guessed yeah. by the virus at the moment but it will be back don't worry Jerusalem will be back on the menu before long because God said that it will the focus of the whole world is upon Jerusalem and yet God said that that would be the case some 2500 years ago you see if they could only remove the Jews from Jerusalem then Christ could never return because they must be in situ before he comes and here is a reason why Satan is interested and has tried and continues to try to forcibly remove them you know his most recent puppet of course is the regime in Iran you know they stand up every now and then to promise to drive the Israelites off the land and into the sea How many times have we heard that On the news We're going to drive them into the sea We're going to rid the world of them forever And I and I did look at those men And I did think Poor old Iran Because I don't give much For their chances You know and it baffles me Why they haven't learned By now That Israel has a greater champion Than they have and simple things like nuclear wars are of no consequence when you've got God protecting you. And he does, he protects Israel because he stands as surety for them. Why? Well, because he's put his name there. It's all about God. I put my name there. You know when we talked on um, Sunday morning from Jeremiah? You know, when we talked about the, the children of Israel, and, 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 and Jeremiah says, Do it for sure. your namesake. Mm-hmm. Do it for your namesake. You know, it's his reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the church up in um, Aberystwyth, where David used to go years ago when he was first in, in university, it had as its sort of tagline rebuilding the reputation of God and it's a lovely uh, sort of sentiment a lovely goal to have as a church but we don't need to do that because he's jealous for his own name you know when he is uh, zealous for his own name you know when he builds his own reputation you know and here it is his name is in Jerusalem I put my name there and Iran you can try but you're going to fail the Lord's name is there and he stands in surety Mm. for the Jews there which brings us to chapter 12 and verse 10 and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication then they will look on me whom they have pierced Mm. yes they will mourn for him As one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. You know, I think when the Lord comes back, I think the words on the lips of every Jew will be, Oh, if only, if only we'd realized, Mm. if only we'd seen it, if only we'd understood. We've wasted 2,000 years in unbelief. And we've lost out on an history of blessing instead of the catalogue of catastrophes that we have endured. No one has suffered like the Jews. They've been the butt of everyone's hatred ever since AD 70 when they were scattered into the world and everyone wants to get rid of them and yet if they had seen if they had realized if they had understood instead of rejecting their God they would have accepted him then their history would have been so so different there would have been an abundance of blessing Oh. If only, you know. I think that the uh, the day of Pentecost cost goes some way to set the scene of Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Here we have 3,000 people, and they were involved with Christ's crucifixion, Christ's rejection. They almost um, a little microcosm of the Jewish nation over the years, over the. The the centuries. 3,000 people were involved in the rejection of Christ. Peter says of them, You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. That was 50 days ago when you did that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm telling you who he is. He's a man attested by God by miracles, signs, and wonders. He's a man that you have crucified. He's a man that God has raised up. Because there was no guile or deceit within him. He is you a Messiah, he is you a savior. You want know, the end of those moments when he spoke that first sermon in the church age. That same crowd, a crowd of rejecters and crucifiers. Turned to Peter. And when they heard this it says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Because they saw Jesus for who he was. They had revelation of his identity through the preaching of the word. They'd missed it when he was here. They rejected him. They want nothing to do with him they crucified him thought that they were rid of him but now the gospel message is preached you know Pauline says very often if only Jesus was walking down the street with us how much easier it would be to introduce people to the man, Christ Jesus go into the pool on a a morning and say to all the people in the pool, look I brought Jesus with me how much easier it would have been and yet when we read the scriptures when he was here in person they rejected him but when he was preached in power they realized who he was it's the power of God it's the gospel of Jesus Christ you wonder, suppose we lose sight of that Sometimes we think we've got to add things to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We haven't got to add things at all. we got to preach it. Good news isn't good news until it's preached. Until it's told. Until it's proclaimed. When they saw him, they rejected him. But when they heard who he was, they received him. Isn't that it? amazing, you know at the end of this age they will see Jesus again for who he is they will look on me whom they have pierced Mm -hmm. and the cry of anguish will go up again what shall we do we rejected the prince of life we've ignored him, we've rejected him, we've persecuted him because we didn't recognize him but that is about to change For the Jews Romans chapter 11 Gives us a little insight Into this future moment For I do not, do not desire brethren That you should be ignorant of this mystery Lest you should be wise In your own opinion That blindness in part Has happened to Israel Until the fullness of the Gentiles Has come in What have we been talking about this last four months We've been talking about the end of the times of the Gentiles the fullness of the times of the Gentiles has passed and now it's time that God is going to reveal himself to the covenant people that he brought into being you know, and then he goes on so all Israel will be saved as it is written the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins And lastly, I want us to finish on a great prediction that Zachariah outlines for us. This is future. You know, when I come to this bit, I thought I'll just put a couple of things down, but there's so much, I can almost do another three weeks just on this little bit, really. But I'm I'm sort of um, not going to do that. Christ left the Mount of Olives and the angel said that he would return in exactly the same way, back to the Mount of Olives it would be like running the film backwards again, exactly here he is with his disciples he takes his leave on a cloud and then roll on 2000 years and they just press the reverse button and down he comes in exactly the same way that's what the angel said would happen it, you know, and uh, that's what we look into as Christians we look into the time when Christ will alight upon the Mount of Olives we've been on the Mount of Olives and there's a little concrete stone there from this was the spot where he left now, I didn't know they had concrete in them days you know, I thought concrete was a new invention, Roger, but obviously it wasn't you know, because it was all there prepared for him and off from the concrete Little mm-hmm. stone, he went. And we all came up to look at it. Remember, to look at the, yeah, the concrete. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that's, uh, that's beside the point. He's coming back. He's coming back, and um, I wanted to notice this: what's going to happen when his feet touch the mountain? And this is what Zechariah says. He says, and in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem to the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. And half of the mountain will move towards the north and half of it towards the south. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them towards the Eastern Sea, and half of them towards the Western Sea. Mm-hmm. And we got two things going on here. We got um, a valley being made that goes straight through the mountain of olive, of olive, Mount of Olives. And um, what's going to happen then is that Jerusalem will become a coastal city. Now it's very strange to have you know like with us we got London is on the banks of the Thames and go straight out into there and lots of cities are coastal but this one isn't until then. And you'll be able to move a boat outside Jerusalem when Christ has come back. Now that might sound a little far fetched, a little bit of sky fi there. But it's not it's not. You see, the Mediterranean will link up with the Dead Sea. And I want to show you this uh, because this, this thrills me when I discovered this quite a number of years ago now. If you, if you look at, um, I got a map of sort of the, the whole of uh, the Middle East from the Red Sea up through the Rift Valley of, uh, of the Dead Sea. You know, and the, thing, the funny thing about the Dead Sea is that if you took a plane and flew up the Rift Valley, you can fly below sea level. This by here is the Rift Valley, and look, and that's the Dead Sea. And the plan, there's plans, actually plans, because the Dead Sea is shrinking, that there are plans to take a pipeline from here, which is the Gulf of Agaba. And take a pipeline from there to feed the Dead Sea. Now if they were Bible students, they wouldn't bother to do that, because God is going to do that in one moment. He's not going to build a pipeline. He's going to put a channel there, because I put if you look over this one, that white line is what they call a fault line. You know, and this Rift valley is there because there's been a number of earthquakes there, and that valley sunk. Now if you look at the fault line it goes up past Jerusalem on the east which is the Mount of Olives and then it goes up and links into the Mediterranean Sea You know and one of these days the whole of Africa is going to break off from Asia and Europe and become a continent all of its own You know and um, the thing is, that's biblical, but today it's also scientific.
1: Mm.
0: Because these fault lines are now known to us. Because, of course, we've advanced in our, our geology and, uh, and all that stuff. But Zachariah was living 2,500 mm. years ago. Never knew what a theodolite was. Or he never had any um, sort of x-ray equipment Didn't know what a tectonic plate was From Adam, really (laughs) And yet he could tell us That in one day That will break And cause a channel So that the sea In the Mediterranean Will link up with the sea In the Red Sea Now I know they'd already linked for you With the Suez Canal but this is going to be bigger than the Suez Canal whoever's in charge of the Suez Canal if there's a toll there they're going to go out to business because now we don't have to come down this way we can come down this way and all that valley will fill up to the depth of sea level isn't that amazing there's more more than that (laughs) right but of course now Jerusalem is going to become a port look it's in the middle of the land man but it's going to become a port And that, the, another thing about Jerusalem is underneath Jerusalem they have found a massive artisan well it's an, an incredible amount of water under there and um, as the scientists reckon all it needs is a slight earthquake and that water will become accessible to us and you know if you can remember Ezekiel where it talks about the water that flows out of the temple from the altar, under the door and wherever it touches it brings life these are the two prophecies that are are sort of vying for our attention tonight Um, the one that brings living water it says and one that brings the sea this is scientific fact Right? You know, how did Ezekiel know that um people in Engedi now I'm gonna tell you what Engedi is, I had a look. I had a look. Engedi is Bavare look. Right? It's on the banks. Oh there it is, look, there it is. You're not gonna you, you're not gonna trust me, I can tell you that. You is there's on Engedi, right? And there's a verse in the scriptures I know it's a blow away because it blows me up.
1: There's
0: a verse in the scriptures that says, and I'm going to read it It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Englahim. They will be places for spreading nets. Their fish will be of the same kind as the fish of the great sea. There's Engedi by there. Come across, there's Engedi. Right? There was no way in the world that the fish in there are going to be the same as the fish in here. Simply because there's no fish in here. That's the clue there, look. It's a dead sea. But there's going to come a time when the people who are fishing in Engedi <laughs> will be catching the same fish as the people fishing in the Med. You know what I'm Ezekiel said that. 2800 years ago, Joe, and that's going to happen. That's going to happen because, Ezekiel says it, it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from engedi to Englahim. They will be praises for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kind as the fish of the Great Sea, exceedingly many. You know, and is that something to look forward to? No, and uh, I, for one, <laughs> believe that God's word. that's that?: A
1: little of
0: fishing in Fishing in En Well, like you say, here, might have a little fire. It's, you know, we might get a bit boring. We might pop over to En and catch a couple of fish over there. You know, um, and i I' got to be honest. I stand by you and say, if God's word says that, I believe it will happen. You know, people have uh, poo-pooed it. Christians have pooh-poohed it. They've said, oh, it's a spiritual thing. But I can't see that as being a spiritual thing. I can't get nothing spiritual out of that at at, at the moment. But I can <laughs> see something physical out of it. You know, and it, it just um, sort of enhances our understanding of what God is going to do in the future. You know, and I to like say, I've, I've skirted over... Um, all this tonight, because I wanted to end on that note, because uh, science itself has actually come to the same conclusion now as the Bible prophecy you know we've looked at quite a lot over these last few months or so there's so much more to discover you know, and um, perhaps uh, the hope that I would have is uh, that it would stimulate each and every one of us to study. You know, there's there's great books out there to read and um, to bring understanding. There's so much, as I said, there's a quarter of the Bible is is prophetic, and therefore we could never mm-hmm. uh, we could never do it all. You know, and people and there's loads of sites. I suppose you could go on of people that have spent their whole lives looking at this. You know, and um, what I wanted us, and I hope that we have. Is that we've all had a flavour of this supernatural side of God's word. You know, and, we, and I hope that it has enhanced our faith. That this isn't just an ordinary book. If God can do this, if this Bible is so accurate, then it must be supernaturally uh, brought about. You know, we've looked at prophecies that have been fulfilled in amazing ways. We've seen prophecies that are yet to come to pass. You know, and I hope that we've been encouraged. I hope we've been wowed. I hope we've been enlightened. You know, the important thing, of course, is that the Lord is coming back. And He's going to take us to be with Himself. That's the important bit. You know, and uh, how can we be sure? Well, the God who was succeeding in all these prophecies that we've looked at is not going to fail anytime soon mm-hmm. what he says is, I think it was David he, when he promises something he can't just you know, sometimes when you promise something you hope people forget mm-hmm. that you've made that promise because you can't come up with the goods mm-hmm. but God is not like that
1: mm-hmm.
0: his promises stand
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they will be fulfilled the promise of Christ come in the first time was fulfilled in Jesus In mm. promises the promise of Christ coming the second time will be fulfilled in Jesus mm. as he puts his feet upon the ground mm. I just got down by you the Bible is a supernatural book yeah. pick it up read it study it but more than anything preach it yeah. preach it in all its simplicity preach it in all its power and authority preach it, you know, the, the, the word power in the scripture, the gospel is the power of God the word of course there is the word dynamite and I suppose Spurgeon said on one occasion you aren't going to protect the Bible, he said just let it loose, it's like a lion you aren't going to guard a lion, let it loose You know, and I suppose that's, that should be our motto you aren't going to guard the Bible, just let it loose you know, and uh, and see what God can do with people like you and me, filled with His Spirit, and standing on His Word. And we will be able to see things that we would never have thought possible. So, thank you for listening, and come in. And for the last four months, you know, you know, we're going to run up to Easter now over the next couple of weeks, and then uh, God will, perhaps, we'll start back in our studies in Romans. I can't uh, hold it back no longer. We'll have to go for it. And see what was in there. So, the Lord bless you.
1: Amen. Amen.